0: Would you turn to Acts chapter 3, please? If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in the seat back in front of you. Or we encourage you to grab that on your phone. Hey, church. Hey, thank you for appreciating us. Not that we need that. Not that we expected that. But we're just really, really grateful. We love you guys. We love you so much. I cannot think of better people to follow Jesus together with, for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. So I'm so grateful to serve alongside you all. I can say the same for Pastor Bud. So uh, as you turn to Acts chapter 3, as we have sung about, tonight is a night of new things. Yes? Not just because God makes all things new. Not just because He makes us new. Not just because the good news is that He's making our world new. There's even more new things to all those new things I just listed off in a new talk tonight on this new day. Okay, let's move on. Tonight is a night of new things. The first new thing, as we've already talked about this evening that you've seen on your brand new bulletin, is that we have a new name. And that takes effect this Tuesday, November 1st. Providence Community Church will now be known as the Neighborhood Church. Hallelujah. Amen. This is good. That's the first new thing. We have a new name. And to go with our new name, we have a new website with many, many thanks Jesse, and she's saying no, but she was sending me emails at like 2 a.m. the last few weeks because she's been working really hard with two little kids, and Justin too, so thank you. Yeah. They worked so hard and so tirelessly that they are moving to Virginia to get away from it all, uh, but uh, so thank you, Jesse and Justin. It's TNCGarland.com, T N C Garland.com. So if you all have your phones out and you're doing this, I know you're not going to be reading Acts 3 the whole night. You're checking out our new website. And you're allowed to do that tonight because it is a beautiful website. We're still getting some of the, the, the ducks in a row, but we encourage you to check that out this weekend. Tncgarland.com. So new name, new website. And what do you need for all those things? Well, a new logo which you see on the bottom of your bulletin. So can we say another huge thank you to Aaron Stone in our community? And let's see that thing. Isn't that beautiful? He got a yellow slip of paper with like some Monopoly houses just kind of drawn together, and he came up with this. It's fantastic. So thank you very much, Aaron Stone, for doing what we could not and using the gifts that we don't have. So thank you, Aaron. That's our new logo. There's more new things. I just said it. But to renew our vision as God's people together, to carry out the same mission that is to join what God is doing for his kingdom we have a new statement that should articulate or help us lock in to what we're about as a church and so i'd like to introduce that to you it may be new but you'll notice bits and pieces of these phrases that are actually very old in the life of our church and so our new mission statement is this we are following jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. We're following Jesus. Now, in our church, you know that we've lived into an Anabaptist-flavored theology. And one of the hallmarks of Anabaptism, that is a uh, centuries-old movement, uh, one of the hallmarks of Anabaptism is that to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. What a novel concept this is. Well, in our culture, just like in the culture in which Anabaptism originated, uh, being a Christian was kind of like being a citizen of a state. You just were kind of born into it, and you became it. And maybe you believed it sometime during your life, but to be a Christian was uh, nothing less but to check a box of some kind of um, just citizenship. And of course, we know that to believe that Jesus is Lord is to be a Christian. But if you really believe that Jesus is Lord, you're led to follow his ways. He's not just for a savior for some time in the future. He's a savior for today, and we're to follow in his steps. So we think this really encapsulates what has been a consistent thread in our church, that to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus. Another huge thread in our church is that we are community focused. As our deacons were um, ordained last week, I know Toby said this specifically, but she says, this is my family. And it's not just a trite thing that these are the people I like to be with. No, this is her family. We are God's family, adopted sons and daughters. And so one of the threads in this church is that we are a community, a family. And so we're not just following Jesus as Lone Rangers. We're following Jesus together. Because to be in relationship with Jesus You need to be in relationship to the body of Jesus, which is His church. And so we're following Jesus together, but not so we can make ourselves feel good. No, we have a mission. And the mission is not ours, it's God's. And so we're following Jesus together for God's kingdom. For God's kingdom. Another thread in our church that's years old is that we are a kingdom-centered church. If you ask us, what is the gospel? But we say the gospel is the good news that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth and all peoples, and by all we mean all, are invited into his kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. And so we are to go out and declare and demonstrate what it looks like when God is reigning. And how do we do that? In our actual lives And where do we live our actual lives? Spoiler alert, it's at the end of this statement. In our neighborhood. In our neighborhood. Now, not all of us live in this exact geographical neighborhood. But as we're going to see this evening, we all have neighborhoods. And we, as a church, have been called to be intentionally present In this neighborhood that we share as we gather each week to declare and demonstrate God's reign. And so we're following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. Tonight is new things and I want to renew our vision as a church this evening. And one of the ways that I just could not shake that I really see in this powerful story in Acts chapter 3. I believe there are four invitations for us as the neighborhood church, to live into our name, to live into our name. What does it mean to be the neighborhood church? How do we live into our name? The short answer is this, and it's on the screen. We live into our name by loving our neighbor. It's really as simple and profound as that, right? Because if we are to follow Jesus together, the way of doing that is to obey the command that says, love your neighbor as yourself. So the short answer, we live into our name by being missionaries cleverly disguised as good neighbors. To love them sacrificially. Even if, and especially if, they're different. Because that's a kingdom kind of love. And so this story tonight is going to help put some more flesh and bones on a longer answer of how we live in our name and it's how Peter and John loved someone in their neighborhood and even someone who is very different from them. But they shared a neighborhood, and they were awake to what God is doing in the neighborhood. And I hope we'll see four invitations that will help us live into our name tonight. And we're going to look here for the next few moments in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you've found that, and you are willing and able, would you stand with me as we read this passage? It's a little bit lengthy. But I like to stand because it's a way of kind of honoring and participating. And it's also a way of kind of snapping us into attention. So if you'll follow along with me, I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. And what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them. In the portico called Solomon's portico. Utterly astonished. When Peter saw it. He addressed the people. You Israelites. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety. We made him walk. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. The God of our ancestors. Has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health, in the presence of all of you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. What a powerful, powerful story. In this story, I've just been so gripped by this. This story has so gripped my imagination. And as I've been thinking about how we're living into the neighborhood church, four invitations just kind of... Fell out of me through this story, and I hope we'll see them together this evening. The four invitations for us to live into our name are these. The first is staying awake to kingdom opportunities in everyday life. What do I mean by staying awake to kingdom opportunities in everyday life? Don't worry about getting all the four, this will pop back up here in a moment. I want to talk about this staying awake to kingdom opportunities in everyday life. At the beginning of this scene, we see Peter and John. Do you know which Peter and John were after? These are the famous guys who got it wrong so often in those first four books of the New Testament called the Gospels. Peter had a way of saying all the things that we're thinking, that he was just so sure he was right but they ended up being the absolutely wrong thing at the wrong time. John, who was a beloved disciple, he was the um, teacher's pet, as it were, but he was loved. Peter and John, who had followed Jesus, who had been with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus, didn't really get Jesus. That is until Jesus was raised from the dead. They saw him. And the risen Jesus spent 40 days with Peter, John, and over a hundred others talking to them about the kingdom that he had inaugurated. And so Peter and John, all of a sudden, it's like this light bulb goes off. And they went from these bumbling guys who weren't sure all the time what to say or what Jesus was about to all of a sudden being filled with an extreme and palpable power. And that, of course, was the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus had said was going to come. And he told them at the beginning of this book of Acts that you need to wait in the city of Jerusalem. Now, Peter and John weren't from Jerusalem. They were from Galilee, where Jesus was from, where Jesus' home base was. But they made Jerusalem their neighborhood. Because Jesus told them to wait and you're going to receive power because the Holy Spirit is going to fill you and send you out. Beginning right here in this neighborhood of Jerusalem. And because they had grown up Jewish just like Jesus did, they were accustomed to an everyday routine of prayer. Have you seen um, maybe something called like the daily office? We've talked about some in this church. You pray at morning and noon and evening. It's especially used in more liturgical churches than we are, like Catholics or Episcopalians. Uh, Even for us non-liturgical folks, there's great books called uh, The Divine Hours, written by Phyllis Tickle, who kind of says, pray this in between these hours and this hours. Well, that stems from a Jewish tradition, uh, not unlike um, Muslim uh, people, where they pray at certain times of the day. And so Peter and John, who were in this neighborhood of Jerusalem, were doing the everyday Jewish rhythm of going up to the temple, because up was this place of, you know, this city on a hill, this beautiful light, the temple where the Jews believed heaven and earth met and where God resided. So they'd go up to meet God at the temple and they would go up to meet him at prayer. And at this time in our story, at what time of the day? Three o'clock. Peter and John, while they were in Jerusalem, were going to the temple to pray. They were doing the everyday rhythm of their religious life as good Jewish folk, but they were doing it because they were worshiping God who sent Jesus, but their real life, their spirit-empowered life was in the spirit-empowered community of God's and Israel's King Jesus, but they still would go to the temple to worship. Well, they encountered another neighbor, another person who called Jerusalem his neighborhood, and do you see the other person that was introduced into our story this evening? There was another man they encountered. It was a crippled man. It was a crippled man, he was lame is what my Bible says, and that's just an archaic way of saying he could not walk. And so because he couldn't walk, he would have his friends pick him up and take him to what's called the beautiful gate. So we have Peter and John headed to the temple, and we have this man who's placed just outside the temple. And the temple had several different gates that you could go into before you went to the court where the women would worship. Then there is the place where the men would worship, and then there is a place where the priests would worship, and then there is the place where really you couldn't go. That's where God was in the holy of holies, and so he was way out at the very far end at the gate. And he was doing what he was doing every single day, and that was asking people for money. And I guarantee you that Peter and John had seen this man. How many of you drive the same way to work or the same way home every single day? You see the same businesses The same cafes, and if you're in certain parts of our city, you will probably even see the same people at the same intersection doing just what this beggar did, and that's asking for money. Surely Peter and John saw this guy. Every day, they would go to pray, Every day he would come and hope that he could have some religious sympathy as the people went to worship God. Hopefully they would kind of serve God by giving him something. And every day he would do the same thing. But today was different. Today was different. So look back at the beginning here in verse 3. He gives the same everyday pitch. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. And then something incredible happens. In verse 4, it says, Peter stared at him. Peter looked intently at him. And John gazes at him. And something all of a sudden should snap us to attention. And we're about to witness a kingdom opportunity. Break in when a normal everyday occurrence would have happened. But I think what happens is Peter and John gaze at him, they look intently, and I think for the first time that day, they saw this man. Everybody had walked past him, but Peter and John saw him. How many times do we walk past our neighbors? We don't see them. They are just there, but we have other things that we need to do. How many people have we looked past and walked past? But could it be that this everyday moment became a kingdom moment because there was something that alerted them and nudged them to look at this man who had been walked past And could it be that in that brief moment of really seeing him as someone who was created in the image of God but who was in desperate need, could it be that they sensed something that was compelling them to do something, to join what God wanted to do? And could it be that they had just enough time to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do and what the Holy Spirit wanted to do was incredible? And look what Peter says. Now look at us. And you can imagine this guy is just like, okay, great, and he's holding out his hand, right? But Peter says, what I have is so much more valuable to you. And he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. And what did he say? In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Now Jesus Would often, uh, he would often just say that. But Peter and John had to say, in the name of Jesus. It was as if they were joining what he was up to in that moment, in his power, and it turned an everyday occurrence into a kingdom opportunity. And I'm saying that you may not ever raise someone up and bring them out of a wheelchair in which they can walk. But there are moments in your day, every day, I think that if we could stay awake, there would be moments that the Holy Spirit is inviting us to pay just enough attention, to be just enough awake to where in that everyday interaction, in that everyday encounter, there is an invitation for a kingdom opportunity. But we have to stay awake to it. And I think one of the crucial things that's for us in our culture is we have to have enough what's called margin. What do I mean by margin? Well, in his book called Margin, Richard Swenson writes this. Margin is defined as space between your current situation or performance and your limits. So what he means is margin is a buffer or a gap A place of reserve for reflecting, relating, recharging your batteries, and focusing on the things that matter most. In this moment, Peter and John had enough margin to where they weren't looking at their clocks to get to prayer at 3 o'clock. They had enough margin to see him. They didn't rush past him. And they realized what mattered most. It's telling that just before this scene, we're told that they sold all their stuff and they shared all their money, and all of a sudden, what was more important to Peter in that moment was not his money, but it was to value this person and to let Jesus and the kingdom break into his life. They had margin in their lives. But so often, we can't stay awake to it because we are so focused to just get through our stinking days. So what happens to us, what happens to me when there is a lack of margin in your life is this. Swenson continues. You have a little margin for anything, or more important, anyone who is not already in your schedule. If anything out of the ordinary happens or a special opportunity presents itself, you have little capacity to respond to it. If God wants to drop a miracle in your life, You do not have room to receive it. This really stepped on my toes. Sorry, God, I am too busy. Let me pencil you in for next week. One of the things that grieves me most is when people say, well, I know you're busy, so I didn't do this or that or the other. We should never be too busy for people. Now, sometimes you need to say no. There is always a balance. J.R. Briggs, who preached here a couple weeks ago, in our coaching relationship, told me, Adam, what are three things you need to say no to this week? But I think that we've got to say no. We can't do it all. We do have to create that margin. Why? So we can say yes to the things that mattered most. Peter and John knew what mattered most, and they were awake to kingdom opportunities in everyday life. But when we stay awake... We're able to join God. And that's the second piece, if we go back to the second invitation of what it means for us to live into our name. We join God in the neighborhood. They were joining what God wanted to do, and we see that, I think, really powerfully in verse 7. Look back with me in verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up. They still came alongside. It wasn't their power. It was Jesus' power. But God has chosen to use us as his hands and his feet. I don't think he would have been able to stand up initially if Peter and John hadn't been there to give him a hand up. You know, we have a relationship with our calling in uh, downtown East Dallas. And um, one of the stories that I'll never forget is is seeing a homeless man say, you know what, so often people come down and they want to give us a hand out. But what we really need, if they really saw us, they would know that what we need is a hand up. And that was another step on my toes moment we have opportunities to give plenty of handouts. But mission is about declaring and demonstrating God's reign and says, this is what it looks like when God's kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it looks like. And it looks like people being valued even at cost to ourselves. It looks like offering a hand up. Mission originates with God We just join what he's already up to in our neighborhoods. So take heart, Neighborhood Church. We don't have to go out and rescue the neighborhood in our own strength. He is already at work. But we need to go out, stay awake, and join what he's up to in the neighborhood. So who is it in our lives that God is already preparing? Who is already in your life ready to jump up, but they need our hands and our feet to help them? Who is it? We need to continually, continually be asking God, what are you up to and what are you calling us to do with you? This is a with God life. We don't have to go and win the neighborhood, y'all. God is way more interested in reconciling the neighborhood to himself than even we are. But he's graciously allowed us to participate. So we've got to stay awake We've got to extend that hand. We've got to join God. But we also, I think, something so powerfully demonstrated in this verse is that they went out to meet this man. They met him on the fringes. They didn't expect him to come into the temple. They were awake enough to meet him outside in the neighborhood. Do you see that? Let's look as we see, you know, this this. This other invitation, which is to go out before we expect them to come in. You with me? Look in verse 8. Notice this all happened at the gate. This, this all happened outside of the worshiping community. But something happens after he's healed in which verse 8 tells us, Jumping up, he stood up and began to walk. And where does he walk to first? Then he enters the temple. I think the third invitation here is we need to be willing to meet out and go out before we expect them to come in. And maybe if we meet them, or maybe not, maybe then they'll follow us back into the worshiping community. But we should not expect that every person we meet is going to come in here. Why? Because maybe, like this man, I just think about this man. Had he ever been inside the temple? Had he ever worshiped with Israel? Do you think the people that you work with, the people in your family, I know I have these people, do you think they're just so repulsed just to walk into a church building like this? Do you know these people? Do you think they've ever come to worship, to come and see? Do you think that this crippled man, I just wonder, had he been turned away even if he tried to come in? Do you think that if the morning when his everyday routine was to be picked up and put at the beautiful gate, do you think that his friends, if they kept trying to carry him, do you think that maybe he was turned away? I think he might have been because one of the dominant narratives that was even said uh, by the disciples when they said, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? They were talking about a blind guy. Their narrative was that somebody must have screwed up big time because this guy can't walk. So perhaps he had been turned away, or even worse, labeled a sinner because of his physical condition. Do we know people who were labeled by our culture, by Facebook, by our ridiculous political climate as sinners? Do we know people who would on paper we would say are never allowed here? Do you know that one of my hopes for the neighborhood church? is that we would welcome any person that walks into this door. And by any person, I mean any person... I don't care what their sexual orientation is. I don't care what clothes they're wearing. I don't care what side, uh, if they slept inside. I don't care who this person is. I don't care what this person does. Because if Jesus himself were here and we try to turn him, uh, if we try to turn these people away, if Jesus himself was, was standing here, he would say, no, no, wait, 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 no, this person can come. I used to eat with these people all the time. They're great They're a lot of fun. It makes this thing a lot more spicy. Bring them on in. We cannot turn away the people that Jesus would not turn away. The neighborhood church cannot be a church for the neighborhood, for God's kingdom in the neighborhood, if we're not willing to have that buffer against the people who everybody else wants to keep out. The kingdom of God cannot go if we're not willing to go as well. Because God in His Mystery has allowed us to be hands and feet, but we use our hands to keep people away rather than welcome them in. And the cross is all about Jesus stretching out his arms and reconciling all the wrong people. And I love that in our church, homosexuals can come and worship, can come alongside us. Now, you know what I think about homosexuality, but you know, I hope by now that they are welcome, welcome, welcome to come, 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 come. But before they come, we've got to be people who can go. We've got to be people who can share a table with others. I don't care where they've come from, but are we willing to go? Will we go outside the gate? Now, I want to say this briefly. When and if they come, I want the neighborhood church, and my hope for the neighborhood church, is that they would have a safe and welcoming worshiping environment. And what I mean by safe is that this is safe for the nuns, the no religious affiliation. I hope that what we do here is authentic enough and and welcoming enough that it's safe for the nuns. And I know that our church is safe for the duns. Those who've been there and done that at that church, but they're done with it, they've washed their hands. I know that our church is safe for the duns. But I also want our church to be a welcoming environment. I want to be able to greet everyone, to know everyone. And especially last week with our ordination, this place was filled with people. And it was filled with people at five and ten till. And we looked around and we're like, where is our people? And so church, as delicately as I can say this, I was so encouraged this week to see at 10 and 5 till this place filled and a life that's there. So can we as a church keep that up? Because you know what's really hard to do? Visit a new church with a bunch of new people especially for our introverts that we make get up and slap a high five and say hello to somebody every service. Please forgive me, introverts. But we think that's an important time because we want to have a welcoming environment where people can know and be known. And I believe that the church that Peter and John were a part of was a welcoming environment, even for people who were jumping and screaming and leaping their way into the temple. And so what he was doing was praising God, which leads us to our fourth invitation. Thank you all for hanging on. Here's the fourth invitation for us to live into our name as the neighborhood church. The fourth invitation is that we rely on the power of God. We're relying on the power of God. What happens after this is that people just swarm this man because they had seen his face. They knew who he was. And they're saying, what just happened? And he is jumping, and the last time they saw him, he was laying down on a mat, asking for things. So they gather around, and they know that Peter and John are in the mix. Why? Because in verse 11, it said he was still clinging to Peter and John. Peter and John had uh, been the vessel through which God gave him his legs, but God also gave him a community. That's beautiful. I don't think it's lost. I don't think verse 11 should be lost in the mix that he was clinging to Peter and John. When these people come, when we go and God transforms them, we need to be people on which they can cling. We need to walk alongside people. And so my hope for the neighborhood church is that we wouldn't just grow because other Christians have transferred from one community to another community. Now hear me, that's great. I love it. We welcome it. Why? Because it's more people with more gifts for the same mission. Praise God. Bring them on. But a church is a church that is supposed to welcome new disciples, to walk alongside new disciples. And as I think about Jesse and Justin who are leaving uh, this week, As we change our name, the day we change to the neighborhood church is the day they pack the U-Haul and go to Virginia. But Jesse and Justin's story is one where they were not following Jesus and they lived in the apartment building of one of our former members and they were brought into this community and they were brought into the community of God. I think about Aaron Sarkis who had grown up and he was all but a done with church. He would go but he had no life with God. Is that fair to say? It was, or if it was, it was like flatlined. And sometimes Aaron Sarkis would be flat-lined because one time he would just sleep in the back because like me, maybe somebody was preaching way too long. But he was brought into God's family and he was given a family in this church. I want the neighborhood church not just to be a church that welcomes transfers. I pray that we would have new disciples. And the thing is, it doesn't take a slick building. It doesn't take a slick production. It takes... Authentic disciples who are real, who are imperfect, but who are trying to follow Jesus with whatever they have. And so I want to close tonight as Brennan and Sarah, I'm going to ask you to help me. I'm going to ask them to pass around an index card to each person. And I want us as the neighborhood church, if you feel comfortable, would you take an index card? And I'd just like to give you a bit of homework if you can. And this was introduced to us by J.R. Briggs a few weeks ago as he was kind of talking about these similar things as we live into the name of the neighborhood church. So I'd like to pass around this index card and kind of do the homework of something that J.R. introduced. And that is this. We all live in five different neighborhoods. Sociologists say that every single person Christian or otherwise, lives in five different neighborhoods. The first one is geographical. When you hear the word neighborhood, you think geography. The second <clears throat> neighborhood in which we live is familial. Your neighborhood is a family unit that no matter where you go, you still, you know, warts and all, have a connection, and neighborhood with your family. The third neighborhood in which we live is relational. These are those to whom we are relating as friends, as co-workers, the people that you just see on a day-to-day basis you have a relationship with. The first is the weird one, psychographic. That's basically a shared interest group. That's a shared interest group. If you go and play World of Warcraft or Dungeons and Dragons, that's your psychographic group. I can say that because I play weird card games, so... I can say that. The fifth one is digital. And God, help us. And Lord, have mercy. Because our digital neighborhoods are on fire right now. And so, by the way, if I can just step back, would we be a church that takes one of our convictions seriously, and that is that we are called to be peacemakers? And we are called to follow a king and a kingdom and not wring our hands about who will be in the White House? Would we be a people that, unlike Israel in John's Gospel, shout, we have no king but Caesar? Would we be a people that believes that our King Jesus and the way of Jesus is what will transform our world and our nation? Not to win it back to some um, way of morality that was never quite, existing anyway, for a nation that was never quite God's anyway, in the sense that we were doing what He was doing? Can we trust that Jesus is a King, and can we do that in even the digital sphere? And even if you're not the one posting or sharing uh, and adding fuel to the fire, would you be one who wouldn't let the fire burn you? Would you be one who can see this and take it With humility. And would you see this and just say, you know what? Who am I? I am one in whom Christ dwells. Where do I live? In the unshakable kingdom of God. And I happen to be an American citizen. Praise God. So if you want to vote, vote your conscience. Go and vote. Go vote. But could we steward our neighborhoods well? So on your index card, I hope you wrote down these five neighborhoods, and I hope you give a line or two of space in between them. And I want you to think of those people who's on your mind and your heart in this moment. Or maybe you need to spend some time with it. And I hope that you would write down a few of those neighbors in each of those neighborhoods. And J.R. talked about this from a kingdom perspective as the oikos principle. And oikos is that Greek word for household. And what he means by that is all these neighborhoods, you've been given kind of a household. A household in which you have some influence. And so, what I'd like for you to do on the back of the index card is to write this question. What are the ways in which we can follow Jesus for God's kingdom in these neighborhoods? Because if we're going to live into our name as the neighborhood church, by staying awake to kingdom opportunities in our everyday life, by joining God in these neighborhoods, by going out to our neighbors before we expect them to come in, and finally, to rely on God's power, we need to be prayerfully considering the ways in which God has given us some sphere of influence in these neighborhoods. And the story ends by all these people saying, how did this happen? How did this happen? And they looked at Peter and John like they had done some incredible magic trick, but he was so ready to point to say, look, this one king that you rejected, God vindicated and has made king and Lord. And it's in his name, and his power, that he healed that man, And it's in His name and His power that we will have any chance to follow Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. So we hope these index cards would be fruitful as you process those ways in which you can be a light in those places. If you're a member of our church and a member of a missional community, I hope you'll talk about those this week and the week following. But would we close in prayer? I know it's been, um, we're a little after time. But would you just take another breath with me? And if you're feeling kind of overwhelmed, like you've just been given more to do, I would just encourage you to take a breath, to close your eyes, and think of the image of the hopeless situation. Of a man who could not walk. Who in just a few moments was leaping and jumping and praising God. Would you see him in your mind's eye? And would you allow yourself to believe that the same power. That rose that man up from the mat was the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and it's the same power that is in all of those who call upon the name of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this community that you've gathered together for a purpose. We pray that we would be faithful, not successful in the the ways of the world. Success is not just having a bunch of people here Success is not a kingdom word. Faithfulness is what you've called us to. So will we just be faithful to love you? Help us in our unbelief. Help us in the ways that we forget you. Lord, empower us to be who you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.